Cairo, Seattle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bark. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever the case might be. Appreciate you taking the time to download our podcast called Bark. It's our fifth episode, and today we're planning on talking about golden retrievers in particular, but also this goes out to all the owners who have blind dogs, and there are different diseases that that affect dogs and, and cause blindness in our, our favorite pets, and Aaron Mason's with me. He helps me uh, every time we do a, a Bark podcast, and we're going to be talking to A.J. Marler, and she's with the Northwest Animal Eye Specialists in Renton about this disease that affects golden retrievers called pigmentary uvitis that, that also impacted my dog, Willie. But I was doing the research this morning, and my dog died about a year and a half ago, and it brings back all of those memories and, oh, right. and, and things I was going through. So we'll see if I can get through How this you doing? one. <laughs> we'll see if I can get through this one without uh, tearing up, and I'm, I'm even yeah, kind of starting to do that a little bit. But, it, well, everyone knows. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I know that your dog is important to you too, and, and when you lose your dog, it's, it's particularly tough. And I go back to when Willie was about 11 or 12 years old. He died at the age of 13, so the last year of his life, he was, he was blind. And I was just one day out at Lakebourne Park, a park here in Bellevue, Washington, and I noticed his eyes were getting a little cloudy, and I thought, well, okay, he's getting older, but it's probably cataracts, no big deal. I'll just take him in and and have the cataracts removed, and we'll be good to go. And I didn't notice anything about him bumping into things. He seemed to, I didn't, he he seemed fine vision-wise, except for this cloudiness in his eyes. And so I took him into Northwest Animal Eye Specialist there in Renton. Fantastic place, great people there. And they've got great chocolate chip cookies, which really helped. <laughs> Freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. I've even thought about stopping by there just to have some cookies. For people or the pets? Well, they're, well, maybe for both. I don't think pets are supposed to have chocolate, though. Oh, yeah, that's a good call. But, uh, yeah, so it was always, but it was, it was always tough to go in there, especially the first visit I had. Now, the doctor then was Kyle Toffelmeyer. He's moved on since then, but he made a bad situation as, I don't want to say it was easy because it wasn't easy, but he made it tolerable as possible. And so I'm sitting there and you you go in there thinking, all right, this is just going to be, my dog's going to find out that he's got cataracts and I'm going to have them removed. Like I said earlier, we're going to be good to go. But come out of there finding out that the diagnosis was this disease called pigmentary uvitis. And they're finding it a lot in dogs in the Northwest. And the next thing I know, he's t- this doctor is telling me that my dog has three to six months of sight left. Wow. And so you're sitting there going, well, wait a minute. Um, no, that, that, that can't be possible. And, and yet you come to grips with it. I left that day, and as it turned out, he had maybe three weeks left of his vision. I remember taking him over to Pullman for a football game, and, uh, and he seemed fine then. But slowly but surely, he started losing his vision and started bumping into things. And what you do then is you get, get drops. You put drops in your dog's eyes because they feel like the, the socket, the pressure is building up in the eye sockets. Even though golden retrievers won't show you that they're in pain, they still feel like they're experiencing migraine headaches. So you put these drops in to try and reduce the pain. And then ultimately, all, all it is, though, it's a temporary fix. And ultimately, Aaron, it's, it, it, it sounds crazy, but you have your dog's eyes removed. Mm-hmm. It's called enucleation, which is 
a, a big fancy word for, boy, this is a messed up thing to do to your dog. And yet, it's the right thing to do for your dog because yeah. it eliminates the possible pain that they're suffering. So you go through that and, and you wonder, boy, I don't want to have my dog lose his eyes, but he's not using his eyes anymore. And so you go in and you have that done. And we did that. And, and when he comes home, it's, you know, your dog kind of looks like, I guess, a, a raggedy end doll without his eyes. And they've got this, the slits there and, and sewn up. And it's a tough one. I, you know, if you're a blind dog owner, you know, you've gone through it. And then you just try and help your dog as much as possible. And I'll get into it later after we talk to A.J. Marler from Northwest Animal Eye Specialist. But whether you have a golden retriever, whatever breed dog you have, you might have a mutt, a mixed breed, whatever you have. If you go through this and and your dog ends up being blind, it ends up being something like I, I look back and I go, man, that was horrible for my dog. But it was also inspirational in a way. So I try and I try and look at the bright side of it. And I'll tell you why it was inspirational after this interview. We're joined now by A.J. Marler from Northwest Animal Eye Specialist, who, who knows a lot about this disease with golden retrievers and pigmentary uvitis. Hi, Jim. How are you? I really, I'm doing fine. I really appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, A.J., I, I want to start just by saying that I, I really appreciate everyone at the Northwest Animal Eye Specialist there in Renton, Washington, because uh, the, the care that everyone showed there for my dog, Willie, when he was going through this uh, awful disease, you work with some special people there. I do indeed. I'm very lucky to work with such a great team, and um, I'm glad that you had a good experience with us, even though the outcome wasn't what we all wanted. But, I, you know, and come to find out about this disease called pigmentary uvitis or golden retriever pigmentary uvitis, and I wasn't even aware of it, and my veterinarian was not even aware of it, and, and yet... To find out how prevalent it is, especially in the Northwest, uh, what what can you tell us about this disease? Well, it's a frustrating disease. Um, it uh, is quite insidious, as as you know. Um, it was first documented in the mid to late nineties by one of my colleagues on the East Coast, and there are about seventy five cases that were identified. Um, and over the course of you know the last couple of decades. We've become aware that this disease has sort of moved across the country, and um, probably that has to do with the popularity of the breed and the fact that dogs can be bred from all over the country. There's lots of movement. So now the, the, we're much more aware of this condition. So I think there's two reasons why it seems to be more prevalent. One is probably real, that it, it, the incidence is increasing, uh, and also just the awareness is gradually building and there's currently a big push to uh, identify the gene that might be associated with this disease. It is thought to be primarily genetic. Um, there isn't really an, another syndrome in any other breed that is quite the same. Yeah, it's it was just a tough one. And, and I'm sure you see that over and over again with, with people who come in who just who walk out of there and they can't believe what they're hearing. And and part of it, it sounds like it's just not detectable early. Yeah, it's very tough. Um, the the early signs are easily missed. The typical patient um, may start to have uh, problems as early as three or four years of age. That's probably about the youngest, and most of them will have presented by the time they're ten or eleven years of age. Um, but initially, what people may see in their pets may just be a little bit of redness on the white part of the eye. 
Um, there may be a little bit of cloudiness that's seen. Uh, some of the dogs will show intermittent squinting. You know, they're holding the eye closed a little bit, so signs of ocular pain. But um, it can be quite difficult to recognize unless the dogs are seen by a specialist uh, or a, a veterinarian that has the equipment to really assess the inside of the eye. And typically, the, that redness is an indication that we've got some mild inflammatory changes. And as you know from your experience with Willie, that can progress over time. And eventually, many of these dogs, unfortunately, end up getting cataracts and losing their vision, and then often they go on to develop a problem called glaucoma, which is a high pressure inside of the eye, and that can be very painful. Well, I'll tell you, I, I just, it, it was it was really tough to go through, and, you know, as your dog's getting older, you know that you're nearing the end as it is, and then and then to have him go blind the way that he was, and, and AJ, it was, it was tough for me. I was telling Aaron Mason here, who, uh, who helps me with the podcast every week, how tough it was just to go over this information again and how many regrets I have and how I wish I had known earlier so that I could, could have helped Willie out. And part of it, I know I'm being a little self-indulgent here, just focusing on golden retrievers. But one thing, AJ, I don't care. It's my show, and, and I love golden retrievers. <laughs> And so I'm going to be self. I'm going to just be self indulgent because I told myself after he died, I thought, okay, I'm going to try and do everything I can to get the word out. Yep. So that so people uh, didn't have to go through what what I went through. Well, so did. anyway, I'll I'll, I did. I'll 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 collect myself here. But you know, I read this morning that 10 percent of goldens at least eight years old is the possibility of 10 percent of these goldens might have pigmentary uvitis. And, and it could be as up to as high as 33 percent in the northwest. And so there's something. Is there any way that you've been able to pinpoint why it's so prevalent in the northwest over other parts of the country? No, there. you know, I think if you, and I know you've done lots of research, but if you look at the number of studies that have come out since 1998, when it was originally presented at, a, at just a, a national meeting, there's only eight or nine publications in the literature about this disease. So it's not been very widely researched. At the moment, the focus is on trying to identify the gene um, and trying to identify the inheritance so that we can potentially do a better job of screening the younger dogs and um, and maybe remove them from the population um, in terms of breeding. I mean, not literally remove them from the population, but, you know, make some better choices about which dogs are, are used for breeding and which dogs are not. So um, there's a huge research uh, study that's been done at Purdue University by one of my colleagues, Dr. Townsend, and um, the study, they've, they've finished collecting um, genetic material for affected dogs, and they're now analyzing that data. So hopefully we'll have a lot more information soon. In terms of the Northwest, I think what has happened is that we have a lot of golden retrievers in the area, and ophthalmologists are, are very keen to identify them, and we have a fairly high number of ophthalmologists in the area and a great sort of proactive group of, of breeders and, and pet owners. And so... Um, we do see a skewed population, so you've got to be a little bit careful with the higher prevalence numbers because a lot of the dogs that are coming to see us 
are either coming because there's been a history in the lines that they've had problems or because people are really proactive at screening or because the dogs are having clinical problems. Um, so there hasn't been any good uh, and, and really uh, sort of proactive prevalence study done in the Northwest, but it does seem to be climbing, yeah, for sure. And I think that's because we're recognizing it more and more. AJ, what would you tell a golden owner? Because I've got another golden retriever. He's a he's a golden retriever mixed with an English cream, and it's it's funny how I I'm looking at his eyes all the time now. It's like I'm paranoid about sure. it. I don't want to go through it again. And I'm, I, I see you know, uh-huh. little little changes, you know, where he might be water, his eyes watering. I'm going, oh, I got to take him in. He's 11 months old, but so typically, if someone owns a, owns a golden retriever, uh, what should they do? Should everyone have their golden checked out? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'd recommend. I think um, we recommend that uh, starting at age two, um, that the dogs be checked um, once a year uh, by an ophthalmologist. Uh, and we can treat this disease uh, if it's caught early. We can use anti-inflammatories to, to kind of slow down the progression. Uh, we may not be able to stop the progression, but we may be able to slow it down a little bit. So that would be our advice to to the golden owners out there that I know you're trying to reach. I'll tell you, it just really you know it bothers me on a lot of levels, uh, particularly because I, I dealt with it, and then also thinking, hey, well, why why golden retrievers? <laughs> why why are you picking on goldens? They're such cool dogs. <laughs> Leave them alone. Well. Well, you're right. I mean, this is one, Goldens have several genetic problems that they can get, and this is in the top three. Um, You know, they may lose their vision, but they can still be happy, and they can still have great quality of life. And I think that's really important for your listeners to understand is that um, many blind dogs can adapt and do really well. But I think what's particularly hard, as you know, with this disease is that the glaucoma is painful and many of these dogs end up having to lose their eyes as well. And I think that's really hard for owners um, to have to go through. No, you're right. And and, and uh, I was going to get into how Willie adapted uh, after we're done here, but uh, it still sucks, AJ. It's still... It's still... it, it, it totally sucks. <laughs> I, 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 believe me, it, uh, you had this very personal experience of going through and, and for us having to give this news to owners and have to see the process go through, you know, on a daily basis, it's one of the hardest things that we have to do. And it, it, it sucks is a really good way to put it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Last question for you, AJ, and I really appreciate your time. AJ Marler from the Northwest Animal Eye Specialist. If if I were to stop by your office, would you still have those freshly baked chocolate chip cookies there? <laughs> uh, every day. <laughs> every day they're still yep. there. Yep. All right. I'll I mean, s- not the same ones, but yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll swing by and introduce myself. Thanks, AJ. I really appreciate your time today. You are so welcome. Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate AJ taking the time, and I mentioned that Kyle Toffelmeyer was the doctor that that I dealt with there, and he said that AJ knows a lot about this disease, and and thank you for you know letting me talk about a golden retriever specific disease, but I also want to talk to other blind owners out there because it it really she's right, uh, it, it's a bad thing. It's a terrible thing when your dog goes blind, but at the same time, I think, as she said, it's worse for the owner than it is for the dog. And, I, and I'm not saying that just to make you feel better if you have a blind dog, but it's true. I, I saw Willie. He was inspirational to me because he 
just to watch him go up the stairs and find his dog bed. And one day I took a video of him when he, he figured out how to go outside on his own where we would leave the door open to the garage. And then there was another door that went outside, a dog door that he could go through. And to watch him make his way into the garage, out the dog door, go do his thing, and then come back in. And it was like such a big day. It was really cool. Um, so it's it's something that you can end up. And then I, I, I continued to take him with me every day because I didn't want things to change just because he lost his sight. So I, I, continue, I would take him to work and take him to parks and take him swimming. And I told a story on a previous uh, Bark podcast about one day when he got away from me when we were uh, at Lake Washington and I had to go out there and, and grab him. And after that, I ended up uh, getting a long leash so that I could pull him in if because he couldn't hear either. It was it was tough. It was really tough. Well, he couldn't hear and he couldn't see, but he was still my dog and I was going to try and take the best. And I knew how much he loved to swim, so I wanted him to keep swimming. A couple things to note, too, that uh, the Blind Dog group on Facebook has been, was really helpful for me. There are a lot of blind dog owner books on the market that you can get, and so all is not lost when your dog goes blind. And, in fact, I think you'll end up finding that, that your dog will adapt, and, and you will, too. So thanks a lot for joining us today. Really appreciate it. And uh, next time on Bark, we're going to talk to David Fry. Do you know who David Fry is? It's going to be a more uplifting Bark. I promise that. We're going to have a, <laughs> it, the host here won't be crying during our conversation with David Fry. You've seen him on the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show millions of times with Joe Garagiola and other hosts. He's the color analyst for the dog show, and he's also the co-host of a national dog show from Philadelphia on Thanksgiving Day. David Fry will be talking about it. We're going to go behind the scenes with him and find out what it's really like to be at a dog show. Thank you today for joining us on Bark. <laughs>